message this morning, the day before Christmas. Next time we see each other as a church body coming together, uh, Christmas will be over with. Christmas is, is just a few short days away. And it, it has been a very different year. It's been a very uh, strange, very different uh, Christmas season. But I think there's, there's always opportunity. And for the, for the savvy Christian, for the Christian that's dedicated to their faith, they'll take advantage of these times. And I hope that you have taken advantage of this time to truly understand and, and find out what Christmas truly means to you. It's not about Black Friday. It's not about shopping. It's not about the hustle and bustle in the mall. Christmas is about Jesus Christ. And it's not just about Jesus Christ on one day. It's about Jesus Christ for a lifetime. This morning I want to talk to you about Jesus, King of question mark. What is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, we read, For unto us a child is born, to us, us a son is given. For the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We all know the story of Christmas. We all know the, the story about the birth of Jesus. Jesus was born in the meekest, mildest, most inconspicuous way that a child could be born. He was born in a stable. He was born among farm animals. He wasn't born in a house. He wasn't born in a hospital. His mother didn't have a birthing suite. He was born in a very inconspicuous meek way and the humble beginning of the greatest and that most impactful life in all of history that has ever been lived is astounding to me that God chose that way to bring the savior of the world to the world last week we talked about the real reason that Jesus was born the need that every human being has of a savior king one who would be able to die for our sins and pay the price for all of us so that we could be saved from our sins and be given the gift of eternal life. That's why Jesus came to earth. He didn't come to earth so that we could have a tree in our house. He didn't come to earth so that we could have a, a special day. We could go drive around looking at Christmas lights. That's one of the things we like to do right now as a family. We're driving around looking at Christmas lights. And it just seems like this year, I don't know if you've noticed it, from the, some of you families, you might be driving around looking at lights People really have seemed to gone out crazy this year. There's lights everywhere, man. And it's insane. It's like that the movie um, Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. It's like every house is the Christmas Vacation house, right? It's, it's crazy. I love it. And uh, we're, we're getting ready to go uh, uh, to Bright Nights. There's a group that works with foster and adoptive families, and they get a bunch of free passes. And we got a free pass to go see Bright Nights which I'm, I'm cheap, so free is my favorite price. So we're going to go see Bright And we do Bright Nights because we have a pickup truck. And in Bright Nights, we empty out the bed of the pickup truck, and we take Teddy because Teddy is our big, big golden doodle, and he's like a, the perfect pickup truck dog. And Aaron and the boys get in the back of the pickup truck with hot chocolate and coffee, and Teddy is back there with him when we drive through Bright Nights like that. So it's kind of fun for us, and we're, we're figuring out what night it's going to be warm enough to do, to do that for them. <laughs> but Christmas isn't about the lights. It's not about the celebration. The true meaning of Christmas is the fact that the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, the Messiah came to earth. He was born. And his reason for being born was so that he could pay the price for our sins. And that was accomplished. His, his death, burial, and resurrection accomplished that, that feat. But it, it doesn't end there. There's so much more to the life that Jesus had has offered to you than salvation. And I think that's, I think that's the, the sticking point for a lot of Christians. And I think if you talk to Pastor Osvaldo, as we go back, we talk back and forth about doing things in the church and the way to reach people. I think that's, for me, I'll be honest, I think that's the biggest frustration I have as a pastor, is people who don't understand and don't accept the fact that Jesus wants more, so much more for your life than simply salvation. 
There is so much, there is a life to be lived right now. There are people to be reached right now. There is a Bible to be studied right now. There are lessons to be learned right now. And there are people to affect and people to help right now. Man, we are living in one of the craziest times. For, for me, quite honestly, it's the craziest time. I lived through the 60s. I was a child. But I remember the 60s. I remember the 70s. I remember the craziness of society back then. That is nothing compared to what we're going through right now. There are literally people in our, in our lives, there are literally people in our towns, in our cities, that are holding on by a thread. I have never in my life seen a time where pastors and pastors' wives are falling so quickly and so, so desperately. And I have to believe that when it reaches, when it reaches the level of the leadership of the church, the rest of the church is struggling mightily. And I know it's because we, we throw terms around like new normal and things like that. But that's just a Band-Aid on, a, on, a, on a, 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 a severed artery. If you're going to survive this time, it can't be a vaccine that you're waiting for. If you're going <laughs> to get through this time as a believer, victorious. I'm not talking about just surviving as a human being and getting back to life as it was before. I'm talking about getting back, get, getting through this time as a follower of Jesus stronger than when we entered it. Learning lessons that need to be learned. Gaining physical strength. Uh, there, there are some diehards that go to the gym. I go to the gym um, I am one of the people, if I, if I have a, a little bit of, if I'm not feeling well, I won't go to the gym. Not because of me. I, I used to go to the gym all the time. But if I don't feel well right now, if I feel like I've got a little bit of a cold, I won't go. Because I don't want to get other people sick. But when I go to the gym several times a week, I see a smaller crowd than I used to. It's almost like you have your own personal gym right now. I like to take advantage of this time to keep my health together and to uh, not get out of shape, if that makes any sense. Well, if I'm so concerned about my physical life, why am I not, so that, why am I not that concerned about my spiritual life? And as Christians during this time, even though so much has changed and even though you may be lost and walking around in circles and feel like uh, you're, you, you can't get a hold on things, there are lessons to be learned, and there is so much that Jesus has for you right now. You know, the Magi brought three gifts to Jesus. They brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Those three gifts were gifts for, for a king. They were gifts that represented his royalty. The prophecy of the Messiah pronounced him a king. It pronounced him the prince of peace. It pronounced him the one who will rule with the greatest, most pure and just government in the history of the universe. And we can look forward to that. I personally think we're in the, the end times. I think that Jesus is coming back and the rapture is going to happen soon. That's my own personal belief. I, I can point to signs of the times, but the Bible says we won't know the date or the hour. Therefore, I can't tell you what that is. But as I, as I look at the way the world is going and compare it to the Bible, I believe that we're in the end times. When that happens and we come back to rule and reign with Christ at the second coming, he's going to rule in Jerusalem on the throne of David. And he's going to rule a kingdom. And all those things are great in the future. And it's wonderful to look forward to those things. It's wonderful to study those things. It's wonderful to be understanding of those. But how, what does it do? For, I think those of you who are here this morning, I think you could probably agree with me. To use the term surviving for Christians, for many Christians right now, is not a stretch. Because I believe many of our brothers and sisters are just surviving right now. Most of my time, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you, most of my time is spent encouraging people. That's my, that's my role right now. My role as a pastor right now is to be an encourager, is to be, uh, to be there to talk people through, is to be there to give people spiritual advice, to point them to the Bible and try, 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 to help them understand that there is a purpose in all of this. There comes a point in time where you have to take responsibility for your own life and realize that, that Jesus has so much more for you than what you are allowing him 
to do in your heart and life right now. Quite honestly, that's why our theme for next year is new. Because I think many of us need to, to have a new encounter with Jesus Christ. Many of us have to have a new understanding of what it means to walk with him. I believe we've, be, we've become very lazy as Christians here in America. I think everything has been too easy for us. We have Christian radio now. We have, we, we have, you don't even have to read your Bible anymore. You can have your Bible read to you on your phone. There's not a lot of study. You can have people do the studies for you. And we have lost the art of personal spiritual growth. I remember growing up in my, in my home, um, my father would sit us all, all four of us down at the table, my mother and father, and they, they took out um, the, the concordance, Strong's exhaustive concordance, right? And uh, Barnes, uh, Bi uh, the, the Bible dictionary, and, and all these books that my dad would have, and they're in, the, they're in his office. And these big, thick books would sit on the, the middle of the table in the dining room. And we'd get upset because we wanted to go outside and play, but maybe Donna would, would have the, the concordance, and I would need the concordance, and I'd have to wait. And I was the youngest, so I always had to wait until the end. But my parents taught us how to study the Bible. Nowadays, it's all online for you, and the, the work isn't, doesn't necessarily need to be there anymore. Listen, I believe we need to get back to the work. We need to get back to those, those things in our lives as Christians, those habits as Christians that cause us to understand this is something that Jesus wants for us and something we have to work towards. What does that mean to you? What does the fact that Jesus has a, has a future kingdom, what does it mean that Jesus wants something for you in your life right now? I think many times we toss. So this morning, I want to talk about that. Christmas is coming, and we'll all celebrate in our own ways. If it's like most other years, after Christmas, we'll go back to our life as it was. And even though we say things like, wouldn't it be great if this feeling could last all year long? Right? Isn't it great? Wouldn't it be great if we could all love each other? Wouldn't it be great if we could all get along all year long? But the fact of the matter is January is going to come along and it's going to be cold up here in New England and, and the, the credit card bills are going to start coming in and, uh, for, for what you spent on Christmas. And this year I think people will probably be spending more than they normally would. And we're going to go right back to, it, it's possible that we go right back to the way we were before all this happened. But is that what Jesus wants for you? Is that where it should be for you? Is that what life should be like for you? What if we didn't? What if we allowed a change to come over us? What if we allowed this Christmas season, the true meaning of Christmas, Jesus, the King, what if we allowed a true change to come over our lives? What if we truly took an attitude of being new, of trying something new in our life? What if we allowed Christmas to bring change? Change to you and me, change to our lives that makes a difference, change that matters, change that changes us. Who is Jesus to you? I think that's a very personal question. And nowadays, we don't want to offend people, right? You, you know, everybody's answer is right. Everybody has their truth. That's the, that's the most annoying phrase that I've heard that I hear. In society. Everybody has their truth. No, you don't. The truth is the truth. What you do with it is your own thing. But there's only one truth. And the truth of the matter is you have to decide who Jesus is to you personally. Who is he in your life? It's a very personal question. I can't answer that question for you. I can tell you what the Bible says. I can tell you who he is to me, but I cannot tell you who Jesus is to you. I can't tell you how you see Jesus. I can't tell you how you allow him into your life or how you shut him out of your life. So this morning I want to ask you those questions. I want to tell you who Jesus wants to be to you. I want to tell you the role, a couple roles that Jesus wants to fill in your life. First of all, Jesus wants to be your Prince of Peace. 
I think the first thing I, I notice and first thing I think is incredibly applicable to lives in America today, for Christian lives in America today, and not just Christian lives, but <laughs> lives of normal human beings who are looking for something that matters. Jesus wants to be your Prince of Peace, not the Prince of Peace. He's already the Prince of Peace. He's already, you realize that? He's already the Prince of Peace. He has already brought peace to the unsettled nature of uh, sinful humanity. Peace is already been, whether you accept that peace or not is up to you, just like we talked about last week. You can either accept or reject Jesus as your Savior. But that matter has been settled. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. In the future, he's going to, be the, he's going to rule a kingdom of peace. That's settled. But in your life, it's not. In your life, you must choose to allow Jesus to be your Prince of Peace. He wants to be your Prince of Peace. He wants your life to be drama-free. He wants your life to be a life of, of, of calm and a life of reason. But man, that's not what we choose today, is it? That's not what so many people, quite honestly, that's not what many Christians, not, not what a lot of Christians choose. We choose drama in our lives. Jesus wants to be your Prince of Peace. It's a choice you have to make for healing in your life. I have found in my time as a pastor, whether it was a youth pastor or whether it's been a senior pastor, assistant pastor, I have found that most of the drama and most of the trouble that comes from the, in the lives of people and into the lives of people is because of issues they have not dealt with in their lives. It's because of issues they haven't, they haven't faced. Whether it's things that happen to them as a child, whether it's uh, problems in their marriage, problems with their finances, people turn a blind eye to those things that they don't want to deal with. And because of that, we struggle. Jesus wants to heal you from your struggles, but you don't want to face them. He wants to heal you. In Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5, we read, Yet he himself bore our sicknesses and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. We struggle in our lives. We go through so much difficulty. We go through, through so much pain, so much heartache, so much division, so much drama in our lives. We have sleepless nights. We have strained relationships. We have strained marriages. We struggle with. You won't deal with them. It's convenient to blame somebody else. I have found in my, in my profession that a big part of my job is to take the blame for other people, right? The big part of my job, a big part of my job is to be the one that everybody, I, I'm, I'm like the, the blame guy. And, and it's not just me, it's pastors in general, pastors and pastors' wives and pastors' kids. Pastors' kids, my goodness, they could be angels on earth, but they are the ones that are blamed for everything in the church. If a, kid go, if a kid in the church goes bad, it's one of the pastor's kid's faults. We allow problems to come into our lives. We allow problems to sit in our lives, and we allow ourselves to go through struggles and difficulties because we choose not to allow God to heal us. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 tell us very clearly that Jesus suffered for us. He paid the price for us. He suffered so we didn't have to. By his stripes, we are healed. By his suffering, we are healed. Healing is there for you. You just have to accept it. Healed from what? Healed from guilt. Too many Christians carry around guilt. Listen, I know it's a horrible thing to look back on a life with, of regret, right? We look back on things we did in our lives and we say, I wish I wouldn't have done it. But you did. And you can't change it. What you can change is the way you move forward from that. And to sit around and, and feel guilty and allow that guilt to consume you is nothing but unproductivity. It's, it's non-productive in the life of a Christian. 
And I'm not saying you don't take responsibility or ownership. What I'm saying is you say you confess your sin to God and then you give your guilt to him and say, God, please help me to move beyond this. Because that guilt is going to keep you from moving forward. We need to be healed from the pain of the past, the pain of hurt that other people have brought into our lives. Healed from anger. Man, anger over... it. I, oh. Problems in the church, problems among church people. There's a reason why it's so acute and so powerful because Satan is trying to destroy us. And I know people that are so angry and won't give that anger up and it's holding them back from serving God. People would rather sit in their, Christians would rather sit in their anger than deal with it. Because dealing with it might mean I have to apologize. He wants to heal us from bitterness and he wants to heal us from shame. I think shame is one of the things that many people deal with in their lives that keeps, the, keeps them from coming back to church. They're ashamed of, of something they did or something they said or, or how they were made to look. Jesus died and paid the price so that you could be healed from all these things, so that you can put them behind you and move forward and stop living a life of drama and start living a life of productive Christian living. He wants to bring peace not to, just to your life. He wants to bring peace to your relationships. Listen, it is not, can I just share this with you, man? It is not Jesus' plan for us to live tumultuous, dysfunctional lives. When you see people like that in church, it's not his plan. When you see Christians who uh, live dysfunctional lives and are, are living dysfunctionally and acting dysfunctionally and causing trouble, and Christians who constantly struggle, keep Christians who just make excuse after excuse after excuse as to why they can't go to church or as to why they can't get involved in ministry. That's not Jesus' plan for you to be dysfunctional. It's not his plan for you to constantly be in drama. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So if you would switch, flip the narrative and start desiring to please God, and what do I mean by that? I mean, start reading your Bible every day. Start praying. Start pursuing Jesus Christ. Start joining a Bible study. Start reaching out and, and, and connecting with Christian friends. Start actively growing in your faith and learning about your faith and connecting with Jesus Christ. When your ways please Him, it says even your enemies will be at peace with you. You know, I think who our biggest enemy is for many of us? ourselves. And Jesus said, you will be at peace with yourself. He can make peace between you and yourself. And I know that sounds silly, but it's true. He wants to settle the struggle in your mind. Jesus wants to be the Prince of Peace that settles the struggle in your mind, the struggle of commitment, commitment to anything Commitment to, some of you need commitment to your marriage, commitment to your families, commitment to your walk with Jesus Christ, commitment to your church. Did you know that Jesus can help you? Those of you who have addiction problems, did you know <laughs> that Jesus could help you with your addiction? He can help you with your addiction. He can help you with those dark thoughts that you have. He can settle the struggle in your mind of self-doubt, the struggle you have with fear. Isaiah 26, 3 says, You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace, to your heart, to your thoughts, perfect peace and direction. He wants to be your prince of peace. You just have to believe that he can do it. So many things, so many distractions out there vie for our attention right now. And there's so many different ways. <laughs> you, watch a, you watch TV and you see shows. Uh, Oprah is one of the most famous right now. She's got, she's got the spiritual journey out there, right? People on a spiritual journey. That's always trouble. <laughs> when you see something like that, when you hear something, it's always trouble. Because those are people who want you to find within yourself how you can be your own God, how you can self-heal. You can't self-heal, Christian. From the, product, from, from the problem of sin, you can't self-heal. Humanity can't. You understand that, right? That's why Jesus was born. 
That's why he died. Because you needed a healer. You needed a prince of peace. And I know people just, people just went up in arms with me when I said that, but that's the truth. You cannot self-heal. You need a healer. That's what the Bible teaches us. Jesus wants to be your healer. He wants you to be your prince of peace. You just have to believe that he can be that. Mark 4.39, you remember the story, right? Mark 4.39, the disciples are in a boat with Jesus and they're crossing a, a lake and a storm comes up. And it was so bad that these seasoned fishermen were terrified and afraid for their lives. And so afraid that they woke Jesus up and said, listen, because Jesus was asleep during the middle of the storm. He had amazing peace. And the disciples woke him up and said, Master, don't you care that we're about to die? <clears throat> don't you understand? And Jesus just looked at him. He stood up and he looked, <laughs> he looked at the storm and he said, peace be still. And it went calm immediately. Immediately it went calm. There's a song that uh, people that used to come to our church years and years ago, uh, a song called Master of the Wind, and many of you have heard it. People have sung it. Uh, Southern gospel groups have sung Master. I know the master of the wind. I know the maker of the rain. That's Jesus. Well, you see, remember the first week of this series? We talked about Jesus, the creator. He's the creator God. Jesus created nature. He's the master of the wind. He's the master of the storm. And Jesus can calm the storm in your life. He can settle that. Or he can settle you in the midst of the storm. He can either settle your storm or he can calm you in the middle of your storm. People message and say, listen, we can't be there. It's not that people don't want to be here. It's that they, they, they can't be here. They're sick. Things are going on. Well, we could either crawl into a ball and say, woe is us. Or we could say, you know what? Not today, Satan. It's not going to happen. We're still going to have church. We're still going to worship God. People can still be at home and they can still watch us and they can still celebrate their faith. We can still do what we were going to do. We can choose to either sit in the middle of the storm and allow the storm to throw us around, or we can allow God to give us peace in the middle of our storm. That's your choice. There's no storm in this life that he's not able to give you peace in. He may not choose to calm that storm for you. That may not be his plan. There may be a lesson that you need to learn during that storm and from that. Just remember, if Jesus calmed every storm for you, there would be amazing lessons that you would never learn. <laughs> the second thing he wants to be, I think, is the Lord of your life. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. We talk about this a lot. When I was a teenager, I used to hear pastors preach this at youth rallies all the time. He wants to be Lord of your life. He's your Savior, but is he your Lord? And it's a very deep question. It's a very honest question. It's a very important question for you, you to answer because many of us as Christians, have, we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, but that's where it stops. And we have a surface Christianity that doesn't go deep. Therefore, when tough times come, when struggles come, we throw away our faith. I, I, as you know, I love statistics. And statistically speaking, uh, Barna, the Barna organization did a survey. Did you know that fully one-third, over 33% of, of all Christians who claim to be evangelicals like us, they believe Jesus died for their sins. They must accept him as their savior to forgive their sins, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and then we have the, the need to share our faith. Did you know that one-third of all evangelical Christians in America turn away from church specifically when tough times come? That's the way to deal with it for them. They don't run to the church. They don't run to Jesus. They run away from Jesus. See, he's their savior, but he's not their Lord. That's the big difference. Jesus is, Jesus is your savior. If you've accepted him as your, your, personal Lord, your personal savior, he's your savior. But the question is, is he the Lord of your life?
See, making Jesus the Lord of your life is a choice of where you place your attention. Can you name more songs and more artists on the top 40 than you can books of the Bible? Can you quote more lyrics from music or movies than you can verses of scripture? You see, well, I can't memorize. Oh, you know you can memorize. That's just a lazy excuse. You know you can memorize scripture. You, you know you can memorize anything. You know your phone number. You know the phone numbers of many people in your list. You know addresses. You know ways to get to different places. It's all a matter of where you place your attention. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. So many things, so many causes, so many distractions are battling for our attention today. They're demanding that we focus on them even for a short amount of time. They are demanding our attention. But just like a petulant child who demands a second cookie, you don't have to give your attention to things just because they demand it. You don't have to give your child everything that they demand from you. If I were to, those of you who are here this morning, those of you who are watching on Facebook, if I was to ask you, if you do you give your child everything they demand of you, I don't think there would be many that would say yes. And if you did, I think your, your life is probably a living nightmare with that spoiled child. Just because something demands your attention doesn't mean you have to give it your attention. These things take our eyes off of Jesus. They divert our focus to lesser things. Man, it seems, like, it seems like the air has been let out of the balloon since the election, right? Christians were, were churches were so caught up in, in, in candidates and the election and, and lobbying for their candidates. Before that, it was the race issue, and it demanded our attention. And it's right to address those things in the right way, but not to get caught up in them so much so that you take your focus off Jesus Christ. He wants to be the center of your attention. He wants to be your focus every day of your life. Now make no, make no mistake, he's worthy of it. He's worthy of your attention. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your respect. He's worthy of your trust. He's worthy of your life. One of the things, I'll be honest with you, one of the things I was a little most afraid of this morning, because so many people, just one right after the other, our worship team was dropping with being sick. And I thought, oh man, I'm going to have to get up there and sing. <laughs> and that wouldn't be pretty. And I'm so thankful that they recorded the night of worship and that Mary was able to be here, and that Jonathan was, because it's not just our worship team, our tech team was decimated as well. So I'm so thankful that we had people who were able to be here to lead us in worship, because make no mistake, Jesus is worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of your life. He's worthy of your attention. Philippians, 1, uh, Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The sad thing is, for many of us, confessing Jesus as Lord of our life will come too late for us to be effective during our life. Oh, there will come a day when you confess and you bow your knee to Jesus Christ and you see him as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But sadly, for many Christians who, will, who refuse to make him the Lord of their life right now, that day will come too late for you to be effective. And because you wait too long to make Jesus the Lord of your life, people will die and go to hell. Jesus wants to be the center of your attention. <laughs> oh, he will prove himself to you if you let him. God's not afraid of your expectations. Do you realize that? God's not afraid of your expectations. He's not, he's not threatened by your doubt. 
I, I get, maybe, maybe some of you room, and they've got the argument, man, and they're going to just blow up everything you think and everything you say. Listen, a well-seasoned, well-taught, well-learned Christian, someone who knows their Bible and understands their faith and is comfortable in their own skin as a Christian, isn't threatened by somebody's attack on their faith. Bottom line is, this is what I believe. This is what I choose to live by. This is what I truly think is the truth. If you don't believe that, that's up to you. If you want to choose to roll the dice and take a chance of dying without Jesus as your Savior, that's entirely your call. I have chosen to give my life to Jesus and to follow him. I believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father, no one gets to heaven without Jesus. And the, op the option of not going to heaven is spending eternity in hell. I believe that with all my heart. I'm not threatened by people's arguments against that. If I'm not threatened by it, do you think Jesus, do you think that, that God is threatened by people's doubts? He welcomes them. He welcomes doubt. Because when you doubt, you ask questions. And when you ask questions, you get answers. And when you get answers, you now have to make a decision. And that decision is where we want people to be. We want to bring people to a point of decision. Not just whether or not to choose Jesus as Savior, but to choose Jesus as Lord. Listen, I would ask you, New Lifer, are you choosing Jesus to be the Lord of your life right now? Is he the focus of your attention? Is he the reason you get up in the morning? Is he the reason you go to bed at night? Who is the last person you talk to when you pillow your head at night? Do you say thank you, for, thank you to Jesus for a productive day or a restful day or whatever your day was? Do you wake up in the morning and say, hey, Lord, here we go. Here we go. I don't know what this day has ahead of me, but I'm going to face it hand in hand with you. That's what he wants. He wants to be the center of your attention. He's confident in his ability to convince you if you're open to being convinced. Remember the story in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 28? <laughs> Jesus has already been crucified. He's risen from the dead and he's appeared to, to several people. And he's appeared to the other apostles, but not Thomas. Thomas because Thomas wasn't with them. And remember, we, get, we hear the phrase doubting Thomas, right? Maybe you've been called or called somebody a doubting Thomas. And we get that phrase from this story because Thomas doubted the, what the story that the other apostles told him. In John 20, 24 through 28, it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Man, that's a pretty powerful statement, right? That's a pretty, pretty straightforward, demonstrative stand to take. Unless I see him with my own eyes and feel him physically with my own hands, I will never believe. Some of you Christians, you take that stand. You say, oh, he's the Lord of my life. He, he's my savior, but he'll never be the Lord of my life until, until he comes down and, and looks me in the eye. And to, that's kind of how like, I feel about being a Dodgers fan. I'll always be a Dodgers fan unless Jesus comes down and tells me I need to change my mind. Right? So and I, I say that lightly, but some of us take that stance in our walk with Jesus. Well, I'm never going to do that. It's going to take, I don't care what anybody else says, it's going to take Jesus himself to come down and tell me. Man, look at what, look at what Thomas said. Jesus will, Jesus will take you up on that. He'll prove himself to you. It says eight days later, the, his disciples were inside again. Thomas had a full eight days to think about that. You realize that? He had a full eight days to stew in the juice of that statement. I'll never believe he's risen from the dead. Man, he taught you. He told you he was going to rise from the dead. Remember? The, the Jews wanted to kill him because he said, if you tear this temple down in three days, I'll rebuild it. He was talking about himself. He said, I'm not talking about physically tearing down the temple. I'm talking about spiritually, you'll, you'll destroy this temple, and in three days I'll build it back.
Thomas knew all that. Remember, Thomas was with Jesus every day for, th- for about three years. He had heard Jesus teach. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Man, now that would have been enough for me, right? That would have been enough for me. Okay, <laughs> this dude just came through the wall. That door's locked, and he just walked through it. Uh, Jesus is standing in front of me through a locked door. I love, I, lo- I love the way Jesus handled this because that wasn't enough for Jesus. He walked right up to Thomas. He said, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. You see, Jesus isn't afraid of your doubt. Jesus isn't afraid of your excuses. He welcomes your conversation. Because if you will allow him, he will prove himself to you. He will show you that he wants to be the Lord of your life, and he can be the Lord of your life. He knows what you need. You just have to be weak enough to admit that you need it. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Jesus proved himself to Thomas just like he wants to prove himself to you. He is who he says he is. He can do what he says that he can do. And he wants to accomplish in you what he says that he wants to accomplish in you. He wants to use you. He wants to bless you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to grow you. He wants to use you to reach other people and change their eternity. New Life Church, do you realize he has a big plan for this church? We are limited by... By our own fears. We are limited by our own limitations. We don't have limitations on us by Jesus. We have limitations on ourselves by ourselves. And he wants to take those limitations away. You simply have to confess him Lord of your life. And lastly, <laughs> he wants to be the king of your heart. He wants to be the king of your heart. It's a choice that you have to make of who to follow. Making Jesus the king of your heart means that you have found common ground with him. That you have chosen his path, his way, his direction. It means that you have made peace with the fact that he needs to be your leader. He needs to hold the reins. He needs to be the compass of your life. Making Jesus the king of your heart means that you have given up your way. He's the creator and will give him all the praise due, but we won't choose to follow him. And we're still going to lay out our path for our life. He wants to be your choice. It's his desire to be your choice. Revelation 3.20, see I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus wants to be your choice. He's knocking at the door of your heart. He's knocking at the door of your life. He's saying, I want to come in. I want to feed you. I want to fellowship with you. I want to teach you. I want to grow you. I want to help you. But I'm not going to open that door. You have to open it for me. That's what it comes down to. You have to open the door of your heart to him. He wants to be your choice above everything else. Mark 12, 30, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. It means that you finally accept and follow his purpose and not your own. And that is such a difficult place to be in. That's such a difficult place for many people to get to. Because we're taught to be self-sufficient. We're taught to, to, uh, to do our own thing. And we're taught that it's okay to be selfish and to do our own thing our own way. Yes, surrender is the key to following Jesus Christ. Surrendering to his path, surrendering to his will, surrendering to his leadership, surrendering to his plan for your life. Listen, it's not really as hard as it sounds. 
We all know that God wants to do something with us. He wants us to be involved. Listen, I haven't met a person who has started coming. You don't necessarily want to do that. You know what? Ah, that's, not, that's not what, that's not in my wheelhouse. That's not in, I took a spiritual gifts test, and that's not what the spiritual gifts test told me. You know what? Come on, man. Get over yourself and realize that God wants to use you in his way. You don't lay out the plan for God. He lays it out for you. What we choose to do is put up barriers. And we put conditions on our service. We say, I'm not going to give unless this happens. I'm not going to serve unless this happens. Unless I'm ahead of this person, I'm not going to get involved. Unless I get to teach this class. I remember, listen, I remember having people in this. Really? So in other words, if my father or mother, who combined have like 120, 120 years of Bible teaching and, and, and ministry experience, truly, they have that much ministry experience combined between them. If they were teaching a Bible study, and here comes silly Sally along, thinking she's got all the answers. I've, I, I read a Beth Moore book. I know what's going on. You're not going to sit down and listen to people who, have, who can run circles around you, knowledge-wise? My problem as a pastor is I say that to people, <laughs> and they don't like it. What you should do is say, you know what? You're right. I need to learn. You know that I listen to sermons throughout the week? I read articles. I listen to lectures. I do what I, I, I listen to, man, I've li Ravi Zacharias, I, li I don't know how many sermons of Ravi Zacharias I've listened to, David Jeremiah, incredibly intelligent men, Charles Stanley, amazing men, John Piper, Rick Warren. I listen to their sermons and I grow and I learn. I do research from their research. I'm not enough in my own self. I still need to be taught and still need to learn. And I'm not make, saying this in an arrogant way, but if the pastor of the church still needs to learn and still, has, still understands that he needs to sit under the teaching of others, why is it so hard for you to understand that about yourself? Because you're arrogant. Because you're proud. That's why. You need to lose that and realize and accept the fact that Jesus wants to be the king of your heart. But you're the one that has to open the door to him. You must listen to, uh, listen to what your heart tells you is the right thing to do. It's called your conscience. It's called the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart, speaking to your mind, and telling you the right way. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 3.11, he has made everything appropriate in its time. He also put eternity in their hearts. That's the desire for God. Eternity in your heart is the desire for God, the desire to learn, the desire to grow, the desire to follow. It's not very hard to do. You just need to follow through. And you know what? People say, well, how do, I know I'm, how do I know I'm right with God? You know you're doing the right thing if you're doing what the Bible says. It's pretty simple. It's not that complicated. If you go to God about your decisions and you pray and you ask leadership, if you read your Bible every day, if you study the Bible and you talk with godly people and you get input and you daily try to grow in your faith and you get involved in your church, if you're doing what the Bible tells you to do, then you know you're doing the right thing. Feigned ignorance is not an excuse. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. The one who says, I have come to know him and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is made complete. This is how we know we are in him. The one who says he remains in him should walk just as he walked. It's that simple. It's that simple. We have the Bible. We have the word of God. How do you know? 
that he's the king of your heart if you are following what's written in this book. If you're doing what he tells you to do. If even in this time, this year of the coronavirus, this year of quarantining, this year of separation, I still love Christmas time. I love the Christmas story. I love what it means to us. But I love what it means for us and to us because it goes beyond one day. It goes beyond one week. It goes beyond one month. Jesus came down to this earth to change your life. He came down to this earth to make your life a better life. Yes, he came down to this earth to give you an eternal life. But he also came down to this earth so that once you accept him as your savior, you now could live productively and happily and beneficially for yourself and for others. You just have to choose it. That's all. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being all of our people who are sick or are struggling, people who have been exposed to this virus. Lord, I know one family has been exposed again for a second time. God, it's, for, it's so difficult to navigate this time. Lord, I pray that you'll give peace to your children. Father, see us through. Lord, I think the greatest, the greatest frustration is to see people who have access to the cure, who have access to the truth, who have access to the way through this, this crazy maze, but don't take it. So God, I pray that you will work in our hearts and our minds. Lord, break down the barriers, break down our pride, break down everything that we place in the way of you working in us. And God, may we make the decision for you. Lord, watch over us. Watch over those who are here today. Keep them safe on the way home. Keep us all healthy, Lord. Help us to be wise. We can get through this. We just need to be smart. Be with those who are ill, those who are uh, waiting. Give them uh, peace and patience. <clears throat> God, may we honor you. May this week, may, may Friday, may Christmas Day be an amazing time of love and family and joy. And may we remember most importantly who you are and who you want to be for us. Bless us as we go from this place. In your precious name we pray.